0: Welcome to the Theology Mom Podcast, hosted by theologian Krista Bontrager. Each week, Krista provides practical teaching to help everyday Christians gain a deeper understanding of their faith. And now, here's Krista. Hello and welcome, everyone. Happy Monday. Happy New Year. good morning good afternoon or good evening wherever you are watching me around the world thank you for joining me for this week's teaching i am krista bontrager i'm a christian theologian and public apologist and this is the channel where i offer teaching about the bible and theological commentary on social issues now today's teaching was inspired by a recent social media post made by my good friend, Pastor Jeremy Bannister. And in light of the new year, Jeremy made a post on his ministry page and he was asking the question, what spiritual goals are you setting for your family in 2024? And then in the caption, he made the claim that all of us should have plans for the spiritual growth of our children. What are yours? I immediately thought, this is a very interesting post. Um, I'm not sure that most people think about things this way. I thought the post was very provocative. Uh, but then when I stopped to think about it, I thought, well, we set goals for ourselves as individuals. We set performance goals for our jobs or When I'm a boss, I set performance goals for for my subordinates. If we're teachers, we set goals for our students. But what would it actually look like for me to set spiritual goals for our family? Never really thought about that before. Um, And then the next day, just coincidentally, I was talking to a friend of mine who runs a local ministry, to help resource christian families in her area and she does a lot of apologetics training and hermeneutics training with families both the parents and the students and she was mentioning to me just how challenging it can be at times to get christian parents to even see the value of setting so- aside time and intention to learn more about the the faith for themselves or to teach their children about the faith. And so many of the parents that she interacts with, both in her ministry, but also casually, um, she said that, you know, even Christian parents, like at her daughter's Christian school, some of whom are also Christian school administrators, (laughs) um, seem to be more focused on getting their kids involved in the rat race of sports and band and other extracurricular activities. And so they'll often tell her, well, we just don't have time. We don't have time for apologetics training or to come to a meeting twice a month to learn how to defend the faith. That's that's very interesting. Um, So those two incidents didn't make me think about conversations that I have on the regular um, with parents about teenage apathy. If you run into this, something about hitting the age of 15 seems to result in teens questioning their faith and parents shifting into, I call it like this helpless acceptance where they think that really nothing can be done about the situation except to allow the child to make their own decisions about their religion. And that kind of led me all the way back to Jeremy's post of how in the world can parents set spiritual goals for their family if one of their children seems to be drifting into apathy about the faith? kind of started noticing the theme of priorities emerging and all of that. So I asked Jeremy to come on so we could have a conversation about all of this. And I don't think I'm alone in these thoughts. So I think we'll we'll benefit from Jeremy's good counsel here. So I want to welcome back my friend, Jeremy Bannister. Welcome.
1: Hi, how are you doing?
0: Good. Glad to see you again. And, um, I think this is maybe the third time you've been on the podcast. Um, yeah, we talked last fall about the importance of church leadership and elders and all of that. So, um, I think it'll be good for us to kind of tackle the issue of spiritual priorities. And maybe I thought, uh, a good thing to do. And once again, I do want to let people know that we are live. Mm -hmm. So, if people have follow up questions for Pastor Jeremy, you can go ahead and put those in the chat and we'll try to get to as many of those as we can. So, Jeremy, you're a lead pastor in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Want to give mm-hmm. it a strong push? People could go come visit your church there at, uh, I think it's called the Heights.
1: Heights Christian Church. I'm even wearing logo today. So, <laughs>
0: giving your merch. There we go. Yeah, there we go. And um, you're the lead pastor there. You've been there for over two decades. You came in as a, the youth pastor. So I know you you've learned some things over the year in ministry. Let's let's just start by giving people kind of your big picture philosophy when it comes to ministering to families, Christian parents, and what role you think the local church ought to play in the discipleship of kids and teens.
1: Right. So I think one of the things that we have here, our philosophy of ministry very simply is this, that we believe that parents are called so many places in the scripture very directly by God to disciple their children in the Lord. We can look at Deuteronomy 6 verses 4 through 9, Deuteronomy 11 verses 13 through 21. We can look at Psalm 78, 1 through 8. We can look at Ephesians chapter 6 verses 1 through 4. And, and we see this recurring theme, whether we're talking Old Testament or New Testament, that there is a uh, a call given by God to parents to raise up their kids in the Lord. As a matter of fact, that's what Proverbs twenty two six talks about: train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. And these types of things that that we do as uh, as uh, a church is to emphasize that to parents: this is your role, this is your responsibility. As such, uh, we believe that the local church has a significant role in helping to help parents fulfill that duty. Because uh, the definition of a pastor—there would be some who would say that there's no definition of youth pastor in the Bible. Well, that may be true as far as a technical sense, but the truth of the matter is, in Ephesians chapter four, we see what the definition of all of these roles—whether you're an apostle, prophet, pastor, or teacher. God gives these roles for the purpose of equipping people for their works of service. And so we simply have to ask ourselves, whose works of service is it to disciple children and youth? And that's the parents. So a pastor for youth or for children, biblically speaking, has to equip parents for that role. And so any youth ministry, any children's ministry that doesn't take uh, uh, seriously the equipping of parents isn't really doing children's and youth ministry according to the Word of God. And so when we have other programs, such as a children's program or a youth program, these are secondary things that happen uh, within the context of a church to encourage parents, to help them along that way, to let them know they're not alone, but we're not a replacement either. And so when you have that understanding, you kind of get the right order of things concerning faith. Uh, faith. Directives, if you will, compound in the word of God.
0: Yeah. And I just want to make sure that people really follow what you're saying there is that parents are the primary disciplers, mm-hmm. but you see the role of the church as being equipping the parents.
1: Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. And so I'm imagining that there's a place in your church programming where you're doing that. Now, that's not to say there's no youth group.
1: Right. But yeah.
0: what is the point of the youth meetings then? What does that evolve into?
1: Well, I think one of the things we we have talked about, if you went to our church, it would look like many of the other churches that are around. We have the children's church program on Sunday mornings. We have a youth ministry that takes place. We have a young adults ministry. But a number of years ago, what we did is we changed our philosophy. And while it didn't change the look on the outside, it did change the priorities on the inside. And so our priority is that as youth are introduced into our youth group as children are coming into our children's church. Our goal is to connect with parents, to sit down with them one-on-one and give them tools, as well as understanding of the responsibility that it's theirs. You have to convey that to them to let them know, we're not a replacement for you. We're here to encourage you and along the way "to, to provide secondary teaching that's going to help equip your kids even further. But that primary role is yours. And so we want to help by making conversations about faith uh, a daily occurrence in your house, that that it's something that you are doing on a daily basis. And we have tools here that we've created that, that the ministry I have outside of this has created to help parents in that way, to guide them along. Like, what do I do next? Well, these tools help them along that way. So they're not by themselves. It's not like you get a pep talk by the youth pastor or by the pastor and then off you go do the best you can it's here's what you can do and it's it's structured in such a way where it makes sense and it's going to increase uh the knowledge of their youth as they grow older
0: so when you talk about setting spiritual priorities for a family what did you have in mind in that blog post like i just had so many questions when i saw that post of what kinds of spiritual goals do you think a Christian parent can reasonably set for a child
1: well, or a young I, person? Yeah, I, I think that there's a lot of different things. And, and I think when we talk about setting spiritual goals, I think you hit on that in your introduction very well. We set goals in all of our other areas of life as adults. With children and, and growing youth, it's a little bit more difficult because they're in these growing stages, right? They can do a little bit more each year until they're reaching adulthood, and even then they're they're growing in their understanding. And so challenging them at their level of growth is what we want to do, whether that's a, a thing of service that they might do or, or stepping out in uh, an area where they might be singing or being more vocal about their faith or reading through the Bible in a year's time because they're old enough to do so. Those types of spiritual priorities, recognizing what your kids can do at, a, at an age and what will be that next challenge for them is good for us to do as as parents. Because we know when our kids get bored with stuff, we know when they've done this 10,000 times before and it's just roped. We need bigger challenges for them then. And so my encouragement for parents, no matter what age your kids are, is to look for that next challenge. What have they done before? And make sure I'm not just settling for what we've always done because it becomes rote. Because our kids, unlike ourselves, who are adults, and, and we need to challenge ourselves as well, but their challenge is, is different. You can't give an 11th grade or third grade homework and expect them to think that that's challenging and it's going to increase their faith any. So we need to be very proactive as parents in doing that.
0: That's really good. And I'm thinking back to the conversation Monique and I had on Saturday evening with Katie Faust. Um, with she just had so many great thoughts and strategies about continuing to raise that bar and keeping kids engaged from a young age and as they progress in what are we having them learn? What are we, what are we talking about? I think one of your more I'm gonna put in air quotes here controversial positions is that children can actually read through the Bible mm-hmm. uh, and that they ought to engage in daily Bible reading and and just as we teach our children to brush their teeth or take a shower or um you know, put on clean clothes that part of our coaching and training as adults is that we are t- teaching them to engage in, daily Bible reading because we can't expect them to grow up and spiritually be healthy and then just magically start reading the Bible when they become adults and go off to college. Um, Maybe you could talk about that for a minute.
1: Yeah. um, I think that one of the misnomers uh, concerning us is we have, we have taken as a large portion, we just talked about the American church in general we have taken a very low bar toward actual discipleship, actual things that our kids can do. And so as my children were growing up, I, I kind of found myself rediscovering that. It was actually an awana teacher at a local Baptist church here who challenged me that that set me on this path. So what you're hearing from me is not something that I started with. It's somebody else who um, challenged my daughter at eight years old to read through the book of John in 21 days. And I got her a reader's version of the New Testament. She read through it. And after she did, it just changed everything. I was like, what else can she know? And if I'm that way as a trained youth pastor and didn't even know that, what about the regular parents who didn't don't know what their children actually can do? And so through that, we developed Uh, this plan of reading through the Bible in a way where kids can understand it. Not everything, obviously, even even as a pastor of 22 years, the mysteries of God are are deep, and and it's what makes me go back to the Bible again and again and again because I love going back to the Word of God. But to say that our children can't understand it at all, that's just not true. Our kids can really understand the Word of God even at an early age. So when they're reading chapter books at school— that's when we introduce them into the New Testament, and then we can introduce them into the Old Testament afterwards, and then throughout the entire Bible. Uh, by doing that, believe it or not, our kids could be reading through the entirety of the Word of God before they ever enter youth group at mid high. My kids did, and and my kids are not exceptional. You know, other people may say that they are, and I think that they are for different ways because I'm their parent. But my kids aren't exceptional in the sense that. They're great and varied and they can do it. And if they can do it, your kids can do it too.
0: One, I remember a post you had a year or so ago that you were comparing the word count of the Bible to the word count to reading all the Harry Potter books. And you don't hear people saying, well, that, that's too much. You know, they, there's yep. too many words. And so it's like, oh, this is an interesting conversation about priorities. And yep. if we're starting with children early. It does make a difference later that what I find with so many young people is that they're, quote unquote, drifting away from the faith, but they've never really read the Bible for themselves. Right. Do they even really know what faith it is that they are drifting away from? But I like another one of your spiritual goals you mentioned briefly there was um, doing service together or, you know, um, that's another part of the Christian life and helping your child or your family doing a service project or setting that as a goal for something to be done. Um, Another important component of the Christian faith. Um, I do want to let people know, and Bob's not here to make it fancy, but um, Jeremy's website, I'm going to try to get it up here on the screen for us. It is the next generation ministries.com. And if you go to his website, you can click on the resources tab, I believe. Yep. And you can download a discipleship plan for different phases of life. So if you want to get Jeremy's free blueprint for a, a kind of a discipleship framework he even has a pastor's edition if you want to present it to your pastor but you can go to his website and get that he makes it available as a free resource for parents and so if you're like very intrigued about this whole getting your child to read the bible on their own thing um go check that out you want to add any any final word there on that issue
1: yeah, no. We we would love for anybody who checks it out. We we have resources there. We also have opportunities for inviting us in to help change that culture in your church as well. If you're wanting to have parents more empowered and see that, just like uh, what Krista was talking about earlier, saying that parents don't always necessarily see the reasons why this is important. You might see it, but many of the other parents there don't. Uh, you can invite us in. We'd be happy to to help start that conversation and connect your pastors with your parents for the purpose of equipping the the kids and the teens in your congregation.
0: Now, I'm imagining that a fair number of Christian parents will think, "Jeremy, you're way off, bro. You you don't you don't know anything about how teens work or how kids work because no one can force a child to have a relationship with God." I mean, the very idea of setting spiritual goals Sounds a bit controlling. There, I think there's a fair number of parents that are probably thinking that right now. Um, what What thoughts do you have about that?
1: Well, let's let's replace it with something else, real quick. Um, obviously, I also cannot force my child to have a good relationship with finances, but if they don't understand finances. It will impact their lives in a negative way. They can choose after they leave my house, after I've tried to train them in finances, not to to walk in that, and it will be a very bad thing that happens to them. How much more are we talking about the immortal souls of our kids when we talk about this other? Not only do we have the commands of God that tell us to train our kids, training our kids is not forcing them any more than taking them to school is forcing them on the other subjects. I can't force them to have a relationship with God. But at the same time, my challenge for parents would be this. When we look at one of the great um, one of the great markers of faith that we would go back to in Joshua chapter 24, Joshua makes a a statement before all of Israel when he says, Choose this day whom you're going to serve. You know, whether it's going to be the gods uh, from where we came from in Egypt or the gods of of the Canaanites and the Amorites, where you're living now. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And one of the things that you'll notice is that Joshua made a statement, not just for himself, but for his entire family. And we always grab onto that. That's a great statement of faith. Well, that great statement of faith was given by one person in his family and applied to everybody else. Now, when his kids left his household, if they chose to not follow the Lord, that is their their decision. They can absolutely do that. But The truth is we're entrusted by God to train up our children in in the way of the Lord, to talk about God while we're walking alongside the road, when we sit down to eat, when we get up in the morning, when we lay down at night. Talking about God should be as easy as talking about our favorite sports team or our favorite hobby, whatever it is. And in many Christian families, it just isn't. We, We have separated, for too many Christian families, church life. And we talk about church things at church or in churchy company, but outside of that, there's not that same conversation that's happening at home. We need to change that paradigm. It's not forcing a child. It's giving them more opportunities through our conversations to encounter the living God. That's what we want for them.
0: I'm also wondering too, like as a parent, whatever your interest is and whatever your hobbies are, invariably your kids end up catching some of that, even if it doesn't they don't get into the hobby as much as you. They catch some of it. You know, my kids, just from me and my husband's background in audio visual things and tech things and video things, they know some basics. Now, they're not as into it as we are. They're not out there making content or anything, but, you know, they, they know how to run a soundboard. They know how to hook up some microphones. They know how to do some basic things just from hanging out with us. Absolutely. Um, My husband has a great interest in in science fiction, and and my kids have kind of caught that um, from him and loving to play board games and different things. So there is a sense in which the parents are setting the agenda simply by what are the things that they are interested in. If your kid sees that you're not really interacting with Scripture, you're not really talking about worldview things on the everyday and pointing things out in real life and helping them interpret them there is a message that's still sent to the kid about the level of importance that spiritual issues have in your home would you say that's true
1: oh absolutely i mean if if we never talk about god in the home if we never share christ we never read scripture together then when you say, God is super important to me, your kids aren't going to quite get that, especially when you might spend so much time doing many other things instead, whether it might be playing board games or watching certain shows or being interested in certain hobbies. Those things tend to take up all the time. And our example really does make a huge difference. I, like I, like was saying earlier you can't force a child to have a relationship with god but our our interactions give more of an opportunity for that and for the importance of that to be to be shown to our children so that they'll know both what they they might be accepting or rejecting from that
0: i think too um what we prioritize shows to our kids like kids are just hypocrite detectives <laughs> they will they will find you out if, if you are saying one thing. So if you say that Christianity is important and vital in your life, but church attendance is slack and, you know, there's not a lot of engagement in the home about these topics, kids are going to get a subtle message about priorities. Whereas if yeah. you are actively as a parents cooperating together all right, what are our spiritual priorities? How are we going to order our lives and make choices? I mean, maybe a spiritual priority is just as simple as this year, mom and dad are going to committed that we're going to go to church. We're going to go to our local church at least three times a month. And we're going, and maybe that's a big improvement. It's a step up, but we're going to go when we feel like it, you know, um, That could be a a spiritual goal, Um, getting into a midweek Bible study or starting a small group for families and how could we incorporate kids into that. I'm just kind of trying to brainstorm and get people thinking about what spiritual priorities might look like. I don't know, do you want to add to that?
1: Yeah. or, Or just simple things like you could be doing for outreach, like baking cookies for the neighbor and attaching your church card to it. So that you're inviting them to come to a place where they can hear about Jesus, or uh, inviting your neighbor to a small group, or having your kids when they have their friends come over to your house. That you're you're being that influence on those kids rather than the other way around. Um, if you're to be that home where all the kids come and gather, that like you're the you're the fun home that people come and gather, and you use that as an intentional place to get in conversations with those kids and to use it as an opportunity to talk with your kids on saying these are the type of conversations that I'm having with your friends that you should be having with your friends those types of instances go beyond just the the mere bible reading and praying for our friends which we should do and, and actually putting our faith into action or if you have older kids thinking about like an 11th grader going on a missions trip that that's something to think about it 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 puts uh you know it puts some skin in the game for your youth to be able to say, okay, my priority is I want to go to blank. Our, our, our church is going to go to Belize. Our church isn't, but maybe your church is going to go to Belize and you're going to say, we're going to go down there for the the missions that we have. And your child is old enough to say, I I would like to do something like that. That's a spiritual goal. And it's, it's a life-changing adventure because now I'm investing in the faith of my children and they're investing in their own faith as well.
0: Do you have any thoughts or suggestions about maybe using like cultural issues as a possible way of capturing the interest of kids or teens, like um, maybe reading books aloud together as a family or watching a specific movie or maybe even going to a museum together in order to increase engagement and maybe help spark them? If, if you haven't been doing a lot spiritually in the home, to kind of grease those wheels a little
1: bit. Absolutely. Uh, so I'll give you some great examples that we could do. Just fun examples you can do at the house, right? So here's one great example. When my kids were growing up and they were starting to read some of the familiar accounts in the Bible, in the New Testaments and the Old Testament, uh, you have this movie that comes out back in 98, The Prince of Egypt. Now, my family loves The Prince of Egypt. However, biblical accuracy on the Prince of Egypt's not so great. So one of the things that I would do with my kids is I would tell them as we're reading through Exodus, those first 20 chapters or so, uh, as we get the story of the deliverance of the children of Israel from Egypt by the hand of Moses, let's read that. And then we're going to watch the Prince of Egypt together. And what we're going to do is we're going to say, what did they get right in there? And, and name some things that you noticed in there that wasn't in the Bible. And there's a lot of them. Now, now the Prince of Egypt, we love it. We love the music. We love that everything's there. and we, it, it opens up the door of conversation of being able to say, this, this movie is considered by most in the culture, a faithful rendition of what the scripture actually says. This should be a caution for us to uncritically take what the world thinks the Bible says as opposed to what the Bible actually says. And then we can go through all different other types of things, modern stories, modern uh, accounts that are that are out there, uh, and say, what did they get right about the Bible? What did they get wrong about the Bible? That's one way that you can enter into that type of conversation.
0: Well, let's talk a little bit more about apathy, because I think that this is a really big problem. I raised this with Katie Faust the other night, uh, during our fabulous discussion on all the things about discipling kids, which again, I encourage you to look at this as almost like a two-part series here with with Jeremy and, and Katie just coming at it from, from different angles and different information. But I want to put the same question to you, Jeremy, that I, I asked Katie the other night. And that is, I talk to parents all the time who kind of take the posture of well, in high school, he's 15 or she's 15 and and they're just kind of going through their questioning phase. They're trying to figure out their faith. Our job as parents is just to pray and hopefully he'll figure it out in the, in the correct direction. That's really all we can do. I'm wondering from your perspective as a pastor, what are your thoughts about this strategy to dealing with teenage drift if you will
1: i th- i think you have to identify where the drift is coming from because i think there's a number of different reasons why drift happens uh, one way of drift is i i call it pushing on the bubble and what i mean by pushing on the bubble is that you have these times like when your child is 3 years old when your child is 9 years old and all of a sudden they get restless because the the world in which they live in the constraints and rules in which they've lived under are, are no longer really relevant. They're growing. And so their dissatisfaction starts pushing on all of the, um, rules that have been placed before you. It's, it's a time of kind of intense questioning and and almost, it feels like rebellion, but it's not. They're pushing hard on this bubble to find out what gives and what stays. Where's my new parameter going to be? Because they're struggling for that extra freedom. And so they challenge on everything to see what stays and what goes. Disrespecting parents, well, that's not, we're not going to allow that to happen. So that that's going to be met really harshly. Um, but then when it comes to things like, you know, church attendance and reading your Bible, when we answer those questions as parents, when they start pushing up against those things and they're just saying, I'm trying to find out where my freedom is and where my freedom is not what's important and what's not, you know, they'll often come up against that one. And because a parent is worried, and here's the worry, if I I push too hard, I'm just going to push them away. But the reality is by not holding firm, they're going to see it as not being very important because we don't do the same thing with school. If they push on the school, are we going to just let them go and say, well, you're not going to be in school anymore? No, we fight tooth and nail because their education is so important. No, you're not going to just drop stuff. No, you're not just going to drop out of school. We're going to fight you tooth and nail on that because this is so important. And they get the message because after they come out of this this season, they're usually like, well, yeah, I might not still enjoy school because everybody complains about school. Well, so what are you going to do after high school? Well, I signed up to go to college. Right. So this this is kind of what we see. And they get the point. Why? Because we didn't we didn't give in on it. We didn't let them say that that, that can stay outside the bubble. Right. No, we we they're pushing on that bubble. They're trying to find those constraints. And for the parents who are who are wor- working through that, my encouragement for you is to say, hold firm. If this is important, if Christ is important, if fellowship of believers because of what Christ says is important, then it's a non negotiable. This is a non-starter. Yes, I'm going to fight you. Yes, you're going to go to church. Yes, if you've committed to youth group, you're going to go to youth group. Uh, yes, you're going to, you're going to be committed to your spiritual activities because these things are important. And we're not going to let it go. Just like we're not going to let you drop your commitment to sports for this season because you've already signed up for it. You're going to complete it, and then after this is done, we'll talk about it again. In in church, it's the same thing. You know, you're, you've given a commitment. You're there for that season, and when that season is over, if you don't want to do that service and you want to do something else, that's fine. But not going to church—that's a non-starter. You know, so I think we need to convey those types of things. Uh, the other area, uh, like I said, there's there's more than one thing where we're looking at about this kind of apathy. Is it because they're unchallenged in their faith? You know, so many youth and so many kids, when they get to an age, they can do stuff in the church. And a lot of times we're like, well, wait till you're 18 or older before you start actually really doing something in the church. We need our we need our youth to be involved in areas that are going to challenge them. And so if they're just sitting there on a week to week basis in your church, 15 years old, they've grown up in the church and and they're just sitting there and they're just sitting there and they're just sitting there. it could be that some of these questions are coming up, not because they have real questions, but because they're not being used. Uh, and our, our youth are very good at electronics. Are very are good Our youth are very good at sometimes being good helpers for some of the younger kids that are there. Put them in places where they can serve and use their gifts well. And if they can do that within the body of the church, they're going to be less likely to be apathetic, at least, you know. Not talking about the rolling of the eyes that every 15 year old does but but the apathetic you know a, the apathy that comes from this doesn't really matter and then if there are true and serious doubts this would be the third area if there are true and serious doubts and what we do as parents is we double down and we take them through apologetics say these are the reasons for my faith take them through something like the case for christ or something that reestablishes that says look the faith that we're following is a faith that is grounded in reality, grounded in truth. When they're in a time of doubt, this isn't a time to start pursuing other worldviews and necessarily going that. You want to double down on your faith. Help them to understand why this faith is reasonable. They'll have time later on, after these doubts have kind of quelled, you know, from this from this high area of questioning their faith, to be able to accurately and logically compare. Buddhism with Christianity and, and you know, the difference between Jehovah's Witness and, and Christian faith, those types of things will, will have a greater interest once they're fully grounded and understand the historical and uh, the apologetics that buttress the faith that we have to realize this is a historically grounded faith and not something we're just making up as we go along. So these are those three areas that I would encourage you know, uh, recognize when they're pushing on the bubble, have them serve if they're underserving in areas within the church, and then answer if they really do have questions. This is where you double down on faith and you say, let's dive into those questions and let's answer them from a biblical point of view so that we can reestablish the strength of your faith in Jesus Christ.
0: That's really good. And I want to echo, you know, the service issue. Um, I'm so grateful for example, that um, when my kids were young, uh, I think as young as 12, you know, they started serving just even Bob uh, and I would help with tech things at the church and Emily was only 12 at the time and she was doing the slides, you know, for the the lyrics and, and the scriptures and I ran the light board and um, Bob did the sound and then um, our kids helped at Awana from a very young age uh, is the helping the, the little, little kids. So they could, you know, when they were 12, they could help with the three and four year olds. Um, both my kids did that, you know, for a long time, well into high school. And, uh, Abby would, would listen to the Bible verses, uh, well into high school for other kids. And so having opportunities to serve, serving in, in vacation, Bible school every summer, um, Kids get bored they, and they want to serve. they, they out. Having them help me every week when I was teaching an adult Sunday school class, they would help me make the copies for the handouts and set up the room. They learned how I liked the room set up and the tables and chairs and cleaning the whiteboard and doing all of these things and helping with the filming and making sure the microphones were on. All of these little things help kids feel like they are making a meaningful contribution to things. And that is a wonderful season for them to be in as emerging teenagers. It can really help them feel like uh, they're seeing another aspect of their faith through service.
1: Yeah, I mean, they need to be, they need to be treated as the body of Christ. And I think sometimes we, we treat them not as the body of Christ, but they have to grow into that. Yeah. And, and there is a growth process, but when we recognize that they're mature enough to be able to do something, We should release them to let them know they are a helper, right? Everybody likes to hear that they're doing something that is making a difference for the kingdom of God. And if there really are no insignificant roles in the kingdom of God, then we wouldn't want to disparage somebody who's cleaning the sanctuary so that it can be nice and orderly for the people who are there within the church. We don't want to disparage disparage the the young person either whose, whose gifts might be limited as they're growing, but they still have them. So let's utilize them so you can see the difference that they help with the body.
0: Well, let me ask you about this because I made a post last week about extracurricular activities. My goodness, I had no idea what a, there was a lot of energy in that post. And um, I just was simply asking Christian parents for their opinions and input about how they see extracurricular activities. Activities fitting into their lives as a family and setting those priorities when they conflict with church or youth group attendance. The post got over 150 comments, which is a lot for one of my posts. And people had a lot of opinions and they were not afraid to share them. I don't know. Um, but what was interesting to me is that there were a couple of youth pastors that came on the string and said that this was actually a big problem in their experience in youth ministry. And I'm just wondering, from your perspective as a lead pastor, as a former youth pastor, can you weigh in on this discussion about sports and extracurricular activities and and just how to balance that as parents are kind of setting spiritual goals for their families?
1: Yeah, I, I think that there are a couple of things to take into consideration. I, I've been I was a youth pastor for over twenty years. And I can honestly say that in the beginning, there was a lot more tolerance from those who were coaches and the like, if you wanted to say, hey, to some of your youth group members, hey, make this day a priority, whether it be Sunday or Wednesday or both, make these days priorities. Talk to your uh, coaches, see if you can get out of, of practices when they're held that day so that you can be a part of this group. And for the most part, there was, you know, not really a problem for many coaches who would take those days off. That may be the case for some places around the country, but I will say at least in my neck of the woods here, there's been a change over the last five, six, seven years that you could actually see a difference toward those things, that you would say that they were less likely to – to be accommodating to, toward those requests on top of that you would start seeing scheduled events happening on sundays on a, on a much more frequent level and and so you'll see families getting involved into things that take them away from the body of christ not just toward a youth group from that matter and this makes ministry hard not just from a pastoral perspective in the church when families are missing when they're gone for um you know tournaments or whatever else is happening it, it has a direct effect toward our youth groups as well. If you think of the youth group as a as a small community of of kids that are coming together to learn and grow certain things, how can you learn and grow in such a way when parents are very laxadaisical concerning the commitment toward coming together to learn something? So if I have this great series on apologetics I want to do or I want to go through the book of James or whatever book, want to go through one of the Gospels, And the students who are a part of it, even if it's a deep dive study that I'm wanting to do, the students who have agreed to be part of this group don't show up, but half the time or less than half the time, because of all these other conflicts, the continuity really becomes very hard, which leaves pastors and youth power, I should say youth pastors as a pastor, I don't don't really worry about this, but as a youth pastor where the numbers are much smaller, that continuity messes with something that you want to teach on a deeper level. I can't teach 12 lessons because I'm going to have 70% of my youth group miss, you know, 40% of these classes. They're going to be lost in what we're trying to teach and what we're trying to go through. It, the continuity kind of gets broken down because of the lack of commitment. So I understand exactly what the youth pastors are talking about. And this is why you would have uh, youth ministries that would just have singular subject messages on any given week, because that's the only way that you can talk to the entirety of the audience without losing everybody. Because if you had a continued study, there's always somebody either trying to catch up or trying to figure out what it is that you're, t- you're talking about. And and that's not that's not an ideal place to be. It's not an ideal learning environment. I think it says more to how we treat youth ministry than what youth ministry actually is.
0: Yeah, youth ministry is such a mixed bag. There were many commenters on the string that were like, well, our youth group is like almost borderline worthless anyways. You know, it is really just like a social program. So I don't really mind too much if my student misses it. And what you're you're coming at it as like no we're having meaningful teaching here we want to have continuity with the students so that leads me to kind of a question of well what is your specific local church youth group like do you even understand what the youth pastor is is up to and do you feel like it's strong because if you don't feel like it's a strong contribution to your kid's life potentially then I can see why you just kind of, well, if you want to go, go. And if you don't, don't worry about it. But I think it is important for parents to encourage their child to have that continuity. Um, if the youth pastor is really trying to do a decent job and teaching the kids something and they have a a, a strong small group leader, you know, like helping your kids set that priority of going even when you don't feel like it, sends them a message over time of what they're going to do when they're an adult. Um, but sports is just, it, it can be two, three nights a week, travel ball going, you know, all over the place. It is really, I think a, a difficult issue. And there's something that you, I've heard you say, and I would love for you to, Kind of unpack it a little bit. Here is sometimes we have to give up good things in order to have more biblically sound priorities. You know, right. I, I think that's it's important. Like nobody's here to bag on sports and say that sports aren't good. You know, but when your child stands before the throne someday before Jesus. He's not going to ask them how well they did in sports. Right. He's he's going to ask them about their relationship with him. And that has to be a big part of our, our priority as parents. Um, I'm sure you say it much more eloquently than that, but it, it's. I think this is a very important point that many Christian parents haven't thought about.
1: Well, I, I think that we can't simply pay lip service to the idea that Jesus is Lord. Lip service says that that you know if Jesus is Lord, I can still live my life any way I want to, well, then Jesus really isn't Lord. And so if we want that for our kids and we have to demonstrate that Jesus is first before everything else because the world is always going to try and set priorities for their life and it's going to be education, and it's going to be uh, extracurriculars, and it's going to be job, and it's going to be family, and it's going to be everything. The first and foremost, if if we gain the whole world and lose our souls, we've lost. And if our kids gain the whole world, but they don't have a relationship with Jesus, does anything else really matter? We can say as Christian parents, well, no, of course it doesn't matter. But our, our priorities of the things that we're doing with our lives lining up with that conviction. In too many things we we have taken on the world's priorities and caused the, and called those things worthwhile and some of them really are. I'm not dissing education or I'm not dissing sports involvement and I'm not dissing dissing obviously marriage or um you know the jobs that that your kids may eventually get the careers that they have but they pale and when I say pale I mean it's not even close not even the same realm of having a relationship with Jesus Christ. They're not even close to one another. And yet so many times those worldly priorities outpace those spiritual priorities that should be in our kids' lives. And as a result, we don't realize that these patterns that we have set up for our kids, they're grabbing onto them and they're taking them as their own because it's the only only examples that they've been given right and we need better examples from parents we need better examples i we, i have to be better example for my kids and that means taking a priority and not living like the world and not taking on their priorities as my own and so you know one of the, one of the ways i've put it is i i have to i don't want to add a little bit of jesus to my schedule i want to wipe my schedule and i start with jesus and if whatever else is out there survives praise god but I start by making sure that Jesus is that priority.
0: I think that's such an important point. If we're talking about setting spiritual goals and setting priorities, that's the thing you have to do is you start with Jesus. Mm-hmm. You that, That's the first thing. We don't just add Jesus to our already existing schedule. Rather, we clear it out and we start with that as the groundwork of what are we going to do? What are we going to prioritize? Um, and, that is just a completely different mindset than how we are usually trained to think. And I was also thinking about conversations I've had with parents um, along these lines with have kids in extracurricular activities. And and some of them will feel fairly comfortable with allowing their kid um, to skip youth group uh, because they feel like their child is tired. You know, they have a lot of homework. They're very tired. They're out for sports practice every night until 7 o'clock. Mm-hmm. We can't come to youth group. Can't come to a midweek Bible study because we're tired. The child is tired. Which I find interesting because you've the parent has prioritized the sport that's made them tired over the potential of possibly building christian friends or engaging in deeper bible study with peers i don't know that just seems like a little bit of an interesting narrative but many people think that way
1: well and i think i think it's one of those things where we've adopted those priorities and we don't know it right we th- we think that what we're saying is reasonable we don't want our children tired and th- and i understand that you know they've gone off and they've done lots and lots of homework. They've done lots of schooling. They're out on this sports team and that sports team practices three to five days a week. And they're done at six o'clock at night and they're just tired. And they're like, well, then we got to go off and do homework. And my question for most of those parents, when I when I put it to them this way, is say, okay, has there ever been a night where you're like telling the coach, no, you can't be there tonight because you have too much homework? I never get a response if that happens. It might happen very, very, very infrequently. Most of the time, they always make their sports commitments, no matter how tired they are. And then afterwards, because they had their commitment to their sports, they also have a commitment to their education. So you need to get your homework done whenever that's done. And I've challenged parents, even in our church, to be able to say, you know, they're involved in all these sports right here. Why isn't, you know, the gathering of believers on that same level? Yeah, they're going to be tired when they get home. But they're tired when they're done doing their sports as well. And yet they always seem to get their sports done and they get their homework done as well. Are you saying that they can't do that when it comes to their faith? Uh, you sacrifice for the one, but you don't sacrifice for the other. What kind of message are we giving to our kids on the importance of our faithfulness to Jesus Christ, our, our importance to the faithfulness to the community of believers, even at this very young age, whether we're talking youth group or just a gathering together on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night. And so these are the types of patterns that we've set up. And as good parents, we're trying to do the best for our kids. I'm not trying to disparage any parents who've done that. We've just, we've just absorbed the priorities of this world. And while we're saying on the one end, Jesus is my priority. What we're really doing is, but our schedule's priority, and what our kids actually get to see of our priorities is not Jesus.
0: Those are going to be some some tough words for I think some of uh, some of my friends to to sit with. But I know as I've meditated on on these issues over the last couple of years, of you as you and I, Jeremy, have been in these conversations. Mm-hmm. It's definitely led to you know hardships and, and uh, on my part, and I do want to encourage people to check out Jeremy's work. He is a full time pastor, so he doesn't have a super big ministry. But you, if you live in the Albuquerque area and you want to go ch- check out his his uh, Church Heights Christian Church, you can also look forward to. I know that you're putting together a couple of conferences mm-hmm. in 2024. Um, so tell people how they can follow you at the next generation ministries.com and, um, all of that and what you guys are doing there.
1: Yeah. So you go to our website there and from there, you got links to our Facebook page. So you can go to our Facebook page, next generation, uh, follow us there as well. Um, we try to do, uh, we're trying picking up our, our, podcasts again or a video podcast that I've been doing with Trinidad. We've done this for the last few years, and I got a new one coming out hopefully on Wednesday. We'll see see if I can get that editing done between now and then. Um, but we're trying to pick up and, and talk about those issues that are important to you as parents. And so if you've got an idea for something you guys would like to talk about, we're always talking about those things. We want to produce things that are helpful to you. We post a lot of things that Theology Mom puts up because She's all in the mix of all of this as well, and love her content. Um, so check us out. We have a YouTube channel as well. That's where we do our video podcasts, and um, would love. Tell for us you what guys. the
0: conferences that you guys are trying to put together.
1: Oh, the conferences for the for the year are here at the church. So um, this year, I instead of trying to do so much conferences outside the place. I decided, hey, let's bring them here. So I've got a parents conference that we're going to have in July. We're working on the finalizing details there. So date will be coming out in the next month or so. Uh, but we've got the parents conference there. So if you're in the Albuquerque area or you're going to be in the Albuquerque area, we would love for you to be there. We're going to have some great speakers who come and to help uh, encourage us in our parenting and to help set those spiritual priorities. Um, that we want to teach our kids to fall in love with Jesus. That's really what our goal is for that conference. And then later on in the year, we're wanting to do a worldview conference in October. So uh, we've got some people both in town and out of town that we're trying to arrange to come in. And these will be people, hopefully, that you guys will recognize and be a part of that. And um, yeah, we're really looking forward to that. So
0: And so make sure that you're following us at the Center for Biblical Unity and subscribe to our digital newsletter because we will um, be promoting, I'm sure, what Jeremy is doing there. And uh, if you want to find out more information about his conferences and that sort of a thing. Thanks for doing this with me, Jeremy. It's been I
1: fun. No problem, I'm glad.
0: Yeah. Great to have you here. All right. Well, friends, um, I hope that you will take some time away from your normal routine to ask the Lord for his agenda for your family. I know that might sound a little weird but I have found so much good fruit when I do that of just kind of stepping away and taking a day and just talking to the Lord and trying to listen for his wisdom for a particular situation. Monique and I usually go away for two or three days a year and pray and listen to the Lord together and find out his agenda for the ministry. And I would encourage you to do the same for your family because The Lord knows everything about you, your kids, your marriage, your breakdown, your overcommitments, all of that. And if you start trying to have that conversation with him and listening for his agenda for your family, maybe where things, some things that need to be stopped, some things that need to be repaired, some things that need to be started. He will give you supernatural ideas sometimes for your kids. My husband and I have found that so true in our parenting journey that when we are out of ideas, um, asking the Lord to give us some fresh ideas and some fresh insights into how we can talk to, approach, and, um, you know, just help guide our kids. So, I wanna encourage you to do that and then to write down your goals, write down your priorities, make it a yearly habit, maybe even have a special notebook. One of the things that Bob and I regret a little bit is that we didn't keep a little notebook of um, the scriptures that we read together as a family through the years to, to see where we had come in our journey. We were just so busy being on the journey that we didn't think to write it down. But I think that if you make it a yearly habit to set spiritual goals and priorities for your family, It will be a great blessing to you to look back on that in future years and be able to see what the Lord has done and be able to see his provision. And um, so I just want to encourage you with that. And um, I look forward to your feedback about this stream. And um, again, I want to encourage you also to check out the stream we did on Saturday night on all the things with our friend Katie Faust. It's kind of a nice um, adjunct to to this discussion today. And with that, I want to say thank you for watching. Make sure to share the show with somebody, at least one person that you think it will help them. And God bless. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe to the Theology Mom podcast and add your review. You can also follow Krista at Theology Mom on Facebook and YouTube. Join Krista for more theology adventures on the All The Things Show, co-hosted with Monique Dusan. Thanks for listening.